Happy Homo Spring and welcome to the Mental Minute with Michigan Medicine, where we talk all things mental health. I'm your co-host, Jeremy Fallis, and with me today is a special guest co-host, Stephanie Salazar. Stephanie, how are things? Well, thank you, Jeremy. I am really looking forward to being here today. It's great having you join me today. And for those of you who may not be familiar, Stephanie, share some background about yourself. Well, Jeremy, I am a wife, a mother, a public health nerd, and a mental health advocate. Um, I've been with the Depression Center since 2008, most recently in the role of Senior Outreach and Education Program Manager, which means I get to oversee all the center's community outreach efforts. Uh, and for full disclosure, Stephanie does get to oversee our whole group. And so whenever we get in trouble, it's always Stephanie who is laying down the law. <laughs> we try to give Stephanie as hard of a time as we possibly can. But yeah, uh, so it, I it, guess a little bit about me is I am your boss. <laughs> so in, in all seriousness, um, we do have a fun episode ahead. Our guest today will be Sarah Abelson, who was an award winner at this week's Depression on College Campuses Conference which is also known as DOCC for, for us in the know. Before we chat with her, though, let's do a quick recap of what was a much anticipated and much worried about and very much worked on project, the DOCC. Uh, we held it just a few days ago, March 9th and 10th, in a virtual format. Uh, Stephanie, you are the de facto commissioner of this event. You make it tick. You make it run. You also deal with all the issues that come with it, but also you get to bask in all its success. Um, so let the listeners know what it was like to handle it this year in a unique format. Obviously, last year's was canceled, and um, you got this conference going for the first time in two years. Well, first, I will say that, you know, de facto commissioner, I don't know, I had a ton of help um, from our Depression Center team, yourself included, um, and our program coordinator for outreach and education, Taylor Paul. Um, there's also an amazing multidisciplinary conference planning committee that includes members from across the university, which is co-chaired by Dr. Todd Sevig from Counseling and Psychological Services um, and the founder of the Depression Center, Dr. John Graydon. Um, he was also the brainchild for behind this conference 20 years ago. So it's, you know, it's a team effort. It's really, really important um, to say. But uh what was it like? Um, you had a front row seat to it. I'll tell you that. So um, I do think it had a lot of parallels to what this year was like overall. So, you know, there was grief. The The 2020 conference uh, took a year to plan and we were ready to go um, and then had to cancel just the week before it was going to happen. Um, and then there was a lot of stress and uncertainty. Uh, you know me, I'm probably one of the least tech savvy people uh, in the world, so I could not even fathom how we could possibly make a conference like this happen. And would anyone want to go to it? Um, but at the same time, we landed on the theme of addressing the dual pandemics, the impact of COVID-19 and racial injustice on college student mental health. So there was this sense that this is really important information and we just have to make it work. Um, and wouldn't you know it, Jeremy, we did, and it was great. <laughs> uh, we had so amazing speakers from all over the country. Uh, you know, the Steve Fund, the Jed Foundation, Active Minds, folks from the Healthy Minds Network um, doing cutting edge, re cutting edge research. Um, and we got to hear from students directly. So it was really incredible to learn about all the important work that these people are continuing to do despite all of what's happening. Um, I saw people presenting from their homes with their dogs. Um, and it was, I mean, it was really remarkable to say the least. So in the end, I'd like to think that it was a story of resilience, teamwork, um, and a lot of smart people doing good work. Uh, and I apologize to you and the rest of the team for my frenetic energy over the last few weeks. Uh, appreciate you sticking with me. <laughs> 
there are no apologies needed. I think it was a, uh, all, all things considered, it, it turned out as well as it possibly could have. And obviously a lot of that goes into uh, the planning and the content that goes into it, but making sure that it's, you know, quality for everybody. Um, but I, I also thought it, in, a lot, in a lot of ways, it exceeded my expectations. I don't know how you felt about that, but um, you know, I wasn't sure exactly how it would turn out either. I was hopeful that we would get a good response. Um, I knew we had good speakers. I knew we had good things planned, but it, you know, it's one of those things like, you know, you think of the field of dreams. If you build it, they will come. Well, we built it and we, we, people told us they were coming, but we didn't know that <laughs> they would actually be there. Uh, and so to see it in reality um, was pretty eye opening, And I thought it was actually quite wonderful. The fact that we were nearing the one year anniversary of like when the pandemic was declared uh, and that everybody came together and it felt for the most part, pretty seamless. It felt relatively normal, which was, I was surprised about. I, I appreciate your uh, confidence in me, um, but yes, I was surprised as well. <laughs> um, I really, you know, I wasn't sure how it was going to work, but, you know, it somehow was interactive and people came and they were chatting and I and it got a lot of good feedback about it. So I was really happy with how everything went. So. Well, and I think it sets the table really well for next year. Hopefully we'll be able to do it in person back on campus uh, at the Rackham, at, at the Rackham building. Uh, and I know the energy was completely different and, but in a lot of ways, it was kind of nice to have a little bit of a change of pace and like to see, I felt like we had a, um, a, a wider group. We haven't looked, dived into the numbers too much, but um, you know, we had people from different parts of the country and parts of the world that would have either a not attended or B maybe not even presented. I mean, we had somebody, a gentleman from Hawaii, for example, who, who presented a poster they nobody's flying from hawaii per se <laughs> to come to michigan in march so uh it, it, it allowed some opportunities there that we weren't really realizing before yeah no i agree and I, I do think it allowed people to access who couldn't before and we and i saw on the report that there were multiple countries not just the us and canada i don't know what those countries were yet until i dive more into it but i think that's really cool that you know people were able to access the work and i think um that also speaks to just the importance of this work and you know covid-19 racial injustice and and how we support our college students and do you have a date for next year i do have a date for next year it's march 9th and 10th 2022 so same dates new year new conference hopefully in person but we'll see we'll we'll take it in stride wherever we're at <laughs> Let the planning begin. All right. Well, yes. without delay, let's meet our guest, Sarah Abelson. And uh, her conversation is right now. All right. Welcome back to the Mental Minute with Michigan Medicine. We're excited to introduce today's guest, Sarah Abelson, to the podcast. Sarah is a doctoral candidate in the UM School of Public Health, and just this week was named a winner of the George Orley Student Mental Health Advocate Award at the annual Depression on College Campuses Conference. Sarah, thanks so much for joining us today. It's great to be here. So could you give us a, you know, a little background about yourself, how you got started in what you're doing, your journey to, you know, in getting a PhD and what you want to do in the future? It's a big question. Lots of questions. Um, yeah, I um, let's see where to start as a small child or maybe more recently. I um, 
Uh, I've been working in the field of college student mental health for many, many years, starting to feel like an old lady um, in this field. But um, the majority of my work uh, began with the national organization Active Minds. Uh, it's a national nonprofit working to address mental health uh, through a largely peer-to-peer -peer approach. Um, and I worked for Active Minds after receiving my master's in public health and love that opportunity as a chance to work with college students on many, many different diverse institutions across the country and to work with administrators and faculty and staff and think about how to build healthy campuses that support the well-being of students. Um, but after my role uh, serving as vice president at the National Nonprofit Active Minds, um, I really, and through that role, saw a need um, to, to dive into the data. And I saw how much um, more opportunity there was to gather evidence to better understand what is shaping students' mental health on campuses and how institutions themselves can play a role in improving outcomes. So that's what led me back uh, to my PhD here at the University of Michigan, um, focused in public health. And uh, yeah, it's been a really great experience um, to be able to be doing research alongside mental health advocacy and practice and education and outreach while a graduate student here at Michigan. So Sarah, um, you and I did actually, we were in the same cohort at the School of Public Health here at Michigan. Um, and I do remember, you know, you said this work sort of started when you were at Active Minds, but I remember even then you had a strong passion for mental health as a public health and health equity issue when it really wasn't being talked about in that way at that time. Yeah, I, um, it's funny you say that too, because I too remember that um, when I started my MPH and was focused on mental health and the intersection of equity and mental health, uh, there really weren't a whole lot of other people doing it. There weren't that many classes. Um, you know, when I, when I shared the edit, that interest, it was a little bit unusual. Um, but I will say just like a, about a year ago, I think I attended an orientation um, for the new MPH students at Michigan. And I was shocked and pleased to see that mental health was like one of the focus areas they raised with new students and many, many, many hands went up in the audience. So um, yes, I really do think we've seen an evolution um, in greater focus on mental health from a public health perspective um, over the last, you know, 15, 20 years. Now you're ahead of your time. It's so great. I, I'm <laughs> so glad that there are people like you to forge the way. Um, so I am curious if you could talk a little bit more about what you're studying now in your PhD. I know you talked about it a little bit, but I'd love to hear more. Yeah, so um, my PhD and my dissertation work um, is really focused on better understanding the role of policy at institutions of higher education and how inclusion policies in particular um, are shaping mental health and mental health equity. Um, so just as one example, I'm doing some research looking at policies um, that are valued by transgender and gender minority college students. Um, those are students that we know are facing a really high burden of mental health concerns and a disproportionate inequitable um, burden of mental health concerns. Uh, and what we also know the students face um, just tremendous amounts of stigma and discrimination and bias and structural um, 
the opposite of structural and inclusion, essentially, at institutions. And so some of my work is looking at institutions that have expanded their non-discrimination policies to include gender identity and expression, which um, expands protection from discrimination to gender minority students, um, which sadly and unfortunately does not exist um, in every state in this country. Um, and uh, other policies that uh, give students a chance to identify their name and pronouns without legal name change on campus records uh, or policies that provide access to gender inclusive restrooms on campus and looking at how those policies are shaping gender minority uh, mental health. Um, but my work has also looked at other, I'm interested in sort of the not not just how individual factors shape mental health, but how policies and structures and contexts do. Um, so as an example of some other work, um, I did some research looking at the impact of the 2016 presidential election on Muslim college student mental health. Um, there was lots of uh, discriminatory rhetoric and discriminatory policies that were advanced. Um, so that's another way I've sort of tried to look at how context is shaping student experiences. How did you become the co-lead uh, and co-investigator for the DEI projects with the Healthy Minds Network? Yeah, I've had the real honor and joy and privilege of working um, closely with Daniel Eisenberg um, since he was actually just getting started um, with the Healthy Minds study at Michigan. Um, so I can't remember the exact years, but I think he first started that work happening around 2005. And I think if I can remember correctly, it was about 2006 that I started my master's in public health at Michigan. Um, and uh, I got to know him then and took a class with him then and did some research with him then. Um, so we connected in those early years and then um, got to stay in touch and continue to work together. So um, knowing Daniel, I continued to work with him in my role at Active Minds. And we were able, I love how Daniel thinks both about research, but also about translating research to practice, which is a real passion of mine as well. Um, so we had a chance at that time um, to sort of work to connect, to work to bridge research and practice um, while I was at Active Minds. Um, but that was then the Healthy Minds study is one of the things I would say that led me to pursue my PhD here at Michigan. Uh, it really is the, the, the best national source um, and our greatest understanding and data on college students' mental health. So I was excited to, to head back to Ann Arbor um, to work with Daniel again in the study. Um, but I also saw some opportunities that um, we could be doing more with the Healthy Minds study um, to understand students' experiences that were really shaping the lives of students of color um, and other students that are marginalized and minoritized on campuses. Um, so just as one example, um, we collaborated and got some funding from M cubed at Michigan. Uh, and I helped to design a new survey module, um, partnering with Rob Sellers and with Tabby Chavis. And we added measures, looking at more measures to better understand the campus climate for inclusion, to better understand students' experiences with discrimination and inferiorization in their classrooms and on campus. 
um, other things to better understand students' connections and who, who where they were finding they, their identities were supported and who they're friends with. Um, so we added um, those new measures, um, which led to a new module of the Healthy Mind Study that was quickly adapted by many institutions across the country. Um, so it's work like that um, and my, my longstanding work with Daniel in the study that led to that role. I think that's so great that you've been able to make those changes and collect data, not just here, but all over the nation. And I think it's improving our understanding so much, and I think it will continue to do so. So I'm also a little bit curious about sort of where you go from here. Like, what are you hoping is the next chapter? Yeah, um, another great question. Um I mean, I, I think I can answer that in different ways and on different levels. Um, in a very specific way, I'll say right now, I'm pretty excited that the Healthy Mind Study is currently in the hands of Michigan students. Um, I, through my work on the Rackham Task Force for Mental Health, um, advocated for the need for more work to better understand the relationship between public safety and students' experiences with police and policing and better understanding how that's shaping student mental health at Michigan. Um, so through the Rackham Task Force and Working Group um, designed a new module for the Healthy Mind Study um, to better understand that. And um, I'm excited. We just partnered um, both with the provost at Michigan and um, with Vice President Martino Harmon to to get that out to Michigan students. Um, so in a short-term, immediate way, um, I'm excited to, to be having students fill that survey out um, this month at Michigan and to start looking at those data um, and to better understand and shed some light on the degree to which uh, policing and public safety really is a public health issue that is shaping the health and well-being of students at Michigan. Um, and uh, more broadly, I would say I'm, I really am interested to continue the work of bridging research to practice when it comes to college student mental health, to better advancing our understanding of what institutions can be doing with our policies and with our practices to actually address inequities and not just improve population health, but reduce the inequities that exist. Um, and to help institutions continue to make sure they're utilizing data um, to guide their practices and their policies and to really understand the students at their institution. That's really great to hear. And I, I think it's, uh, it's quite a topic that probably isn't investigated nearly enough and that we wish we could have more uh, researchers diving into. Um, and, and, you know, to kind of pivot a little bit, we, we, we talk about like how you know community programming works a lot in our, in the depression center, and obviously we're both of the education and outreach team. Um, and you have a background in a little bit of, of programming with the Active Minds group, um, and obviously that was you spent it was eight or nine years with them. Is that correct? Yeah. Yeah. So, could you kind of go like how you go from doing something that is very hands on and educational and in the community to doing the research side of things? I know something drew you back to the research side of things um, because I think it plays really well into how, um, you know, obviously you were honored with the student uh, mental health advocate award and kind of just combining those two worlds together and how, I don't know, you're just, you're intersecting a lot of different places. I know there really isn't quite a question in that, but uh, let's talk about your time with Active Minds and how it brought you to where you are now. Yeah. One answer there is that for me, um, my 
my practice really informs my research and my research really informs my practice. And I really love being able to do the two side by side and feel like doing them together. They are each strengthened. So um, it was really my experience working with campuses, um, trying to answer administrators questions about like, what should we be doing that that led to my research questions and, and, and led me to say, oh, we need more data on this. Um, I, I did one of my um, initiatives that I started and led at Active Minds was to create the Healthy Campus Award. Um, and we were, we were recognizing and celebrating institutions that were, were leading the way in building healthy campuses. And we're particularly interested to learn from a wide range of institutions doing the work, you know, not just well-resourced schools or not just large schools, but across the full range of institutions to really examine and again, champion and celebrate uh, how they were building healthy campuses. Um, but again, as I sort of tried to outline what, what does it mean to build a healthy campus and thought about what initiatives to highlight, um, again, I saw sort of a lot of unanswered research questions as to like, what is the right policy and how does that policy shape student outcomes? Um, so it was that practice that, that led me to be. And I also saw that um, when, when campuses do sort of decision-making and um, design programs without data, I, my sense was that that's often where you see inequities come from. So um, when we're, we're thinking just about the population and not really understanding the unique needs and the differences across the population and within the population, that it's often the same groups that get forgotten or get left behind or just frankly don't get very well served by sort of the mainstream programs. Um, so it was also that the sense of um, that without without the needed data, certain populations were continuing to get sort of neglected and left behind. Um, and so, yeah, I don't know if that answers your question, but that's a little bit of how um, being immersed in the practice sort of led me to the research side of things. Um, and I would say now I continue to do the back and forth. So um, one of the reasons I love being on the Rackham Task Force for Graduate Student Mental Health is getting to move, um, you know, having been in the research side of things, um, to, to be thinking back about practice um, and about how, you know, what are the institution's opportunities and levers uh, to be building, uh, you know, a healthier uh, workplace, a, a healthier learning environment um, that lets students really, you know, thrive and succeed alongside their academic success. Um, I think that's so great. And just like the way that you come at it with such curiosity and like, I want to know more and I want to dig in. And I think that's so great and so important. And I think a lot of times you're right. The institutions are like, we're just going to throw something at it and hope it helps. And we don't, you know, really know what the issues are or whether this is working or not. So I think that's so important that you'll be able to, to form the policy in that way. And I think those were a lot of the questions that we were talking about at the depression on college campuses conference that we just had. And so I just sort of want to end with, um, sort of more of a personal question, but when you were given the student mental health advocate award, you sort of gave the shout out to like loud and proud therapy and like we don't always talk about it. And I, I just think I loved that so much and thought it was just a great moment. Um, so I'm sort of curious about how you see that fitting into your life, your personal and professional life, and what advice do you have to others who may be apprehensive to seek help? Yeah. 
Um, it was a thank you really, honestly, to, um, to the depression center and to you all who do such a brilliant job of organizing that conference every year. It was, um, and to the Orly family, I, I am so moved to see how, um, in, in the face of such profound personal loss, they're, they're really making investments in supporting, um, and, and investing in mental health advocacy through students. Um, so, so really it was just such a huge, huge honor to win the award um, and really nice to have an opportunity to connect not just like my professional life and work and research um, but to be able to sort of think and share personally about um, my mental health as a graduate student um, you know I sit in task forces where we're like debating what's what's shaping graduate student mental health and it was it was fun to have an opportunity to to thank the folks that have been key to supporting my mental health as a graduate student um, uh, in terms of your your question about advice, um, I, you know, it's challenging. And frankly, right now I'm feeling nervous because so many people are seeking mental health help, which is great because so many of us are struggling in this pandemic and it's so isolating and there's so many challenges associated with it. Um, but there's so, the wait lists are so long for, for clinicians, even here in Ann Arbor, a town that's relatively filled with them um, compared to some other places. So, I guess my, um, I mean, I, I will just be open about the fact that having a fabulous therapist really is like a, a highlight of my week and it's hard work, but um, it's it's a joyful, really important experience and one that's key to my mental health and well-being. Um, so for those who are hesitant, I would just be a voice of, you know, a really, really positive experience. Um, but I would also, I think, I think so often people um, may be interested, but it's, it's it can be hard to get yourself all the way there and into the seat and sticking with it. And so I would also sort of add the, the importance of being persistent and recognizing that it is hard work and, and, and can be a challenge, but it's worth it. Um, and I would also, I think I sort of reflected in what I shared that fit is important. Um, you know, I'd seen some providers previously who frankly weren't quite the right fit and it's really worth it to, to keep looking and sort of try some different people. There's no reason to expect that the first person you see is going to be the right fit. Um, but I think fit does matter. And so I would encourage people to, if, you know, if the first person you see, it doesn't feel good or doesn't feel right or doesn't feel helpful uh, to try someone else and to keep trying because, yeah, good, good therapy is great. <laughs> I think that's a great message and it's, uh, it is very important, even if it's not necessarily finding a therapist per se, but at least seeking out, you know, resources that can help you cope and, and manage certain things. Cause there's some self-help things that we can try and do on our own before we, uh, reach out to somebody, or if we are on a wait list, uh, lucky to see, uh, to see somebody. So Absolutely. we know, Jeremy, that, yeah. I don't know if you heard my talk, but I also highlighted how important walking my dog is, has been for my mental health and my toddler's laughter has been for my mental health. So social support. Um, yes, there's many, many ways, uh, we take care of our mental health, um, alongside those other things. 100%. I am on board with dogs and kids making you happier if, if that's what you what you need. Um, all three of us live in a world where we, we deal with some or all of that. So um, I think we can all uh, empathize and understand that for sure. Um, I know we're on a little bit of a time crunch, so I want to give you the chance. We give all our guests the opportunity to plug something of theirs. It can be recent work. It could be something else you'd like to pitch and support. It can be 
kind of whatever you want. The floor is yours. So Sarah, go ahead. Oh man, I wasn't prepared for that one. <laughs> I mean, I, I, um, I would, I guess, end again with a, with a thanks and appreciation to the Depression Center, um, to John Graydon for his just amazing leadership over so many years, to Stephanie for all of your hard work there um, and with this podcast and with the conference, um, to the Orly family for their support of the award. Um, I really, it's, uh, I feel lucky to be in a place where I'm not the only one talking about mental health and there's so many great resources and entities that are helping the community have these conversations. So I'm glad to be in partnership with you all. Um, I do, I don't know if students listen to this podcast, but I am plugging students to come to fill out their healthy mind survey um, this week and for others at the institution to, to check out those data. I think there's a lot of valuable information there that can inform our work. Um, and, uh, yeah, again, a thank you to, to Rackham too. It's been exciting to, to partner with them, um, and appreciating their investment in care for a graduate student mental health. So yeah, that's where I'll, oh, and always active minds (laughs) forever and always, um, I will, will always plug active minds and just in terms of really putting students front and center and champion student voices. Uh, I appreciate how, how that's being done here. Um, but we'll always, um, it's just such an honor to be alongside other student mental health advocates. I was really um, taken at the conference to see um, some of the other nominees of the award. And um, there's just, a, students are doing really, really great work here. So um, it's exciting to be among them. Uh, thanks again, Sarah. We very much appreciate you joining us today. Uh, we wish you luck in your future endeavors. We know we'll hear more from you uh, as we go forward. And um, it's just wonderful to, to hear everything that you're doing. Great. Well, thank you. So that concludes this episode of the Mental Minute with Michigan Medicine. A special thanks to Fatima Dodwala for assistance with this episode. Be sure to tell your friends about us. Please subscribe and rate us five stars on Apple Podcasts. If you have a question, join us uh, by email at mentalminute at umich.edu, and maybe your question will be read on air. Follow the Depression Center on social media. Our Twitter handle is at DepressionCNTR. Like us on Facebook at University of Michigan Depression Center, and follow Michigan Medicine on Instagram at umichmedicine. Visit depressioncenter.org for more information on all our activities, events, programs, and research. Have a safe rest of March. Wash your hands, mask up. We'll catch you in April. 